Networking to me is, is kind of a dirty word, and, and no one would accuse me of not networking. I just don't like that word because it feels so transactional. We're going through this adjustment of the, kind of the new normal. I think we're, we're trying to figure out what that looks like. There's usually not 20 different things that you can do. There's one or two that you can do, but getting everybody aligned on what those options are is really the order of the day. Welcome to season three of the Beyond Capital podcast. People always ask me, what is the secret sauce to marrying profit with purpose? We're back for another season to bring you the stories of successful leaders that are building and scaling purpose-driven businesses. I'm Eva Yazari, general partner of Beyond Capital Ventures. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how conscious leadership translates impact in all facets of a business and how it can show up in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. Whether you're a leader of a company, team, household, or just yourself, we hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired to take action every day. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Larry Perkins. Larry is the founder and CEO of Sierra Constellation Partners, an interim management and advisory firm. SCP helps middle market companies in transition create long-term sustainable improvements. Previously, Larry worked in investment banking and turnaround consulting. He was the founding partner of El Molino Advisors, a boutique turnaround and restructuring firm focused on middle market companies. Larry is also the author of Don't Be a Stranger, a book that shares advice on authentic relationship building. Welcome, Larry. So great to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Eva. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate being here. It's an absolute pleasure. So let's dive in. Tell us, for those that don't know in our audience, what interim management means and give us the history of your background and how you came to start SCP. Sure. So interim management can can mean a lot of things to different people, but the way that I think of interim management is effectively uh, almost like a triage type function when a company is really going through a period of time and they need a group or a person to come in and, and fix what ails them. And it could be a number of different reasons that contribute to that, but usually ours related to financial circumstances or liquidity crises and things like that. And that's how we usually go there. Uh, as far as how I got into that, it really is kind of a humanity uh, story more than anything else. I was working in investment banking and I was working with a company that was going through trouble and I really resonated dealing with the, with the human component of it. And I'm not just talking about, you know, hiring and firing and things like that, but really what the people on the other side, really all sides of it were, were feeling and doing and, and how they were reacting. And I thought it was a, a fascinating study on humanity uh, and that just piqued my interest and, and kept me at it. One turned into two and started a business and sold it and bought it back and all those sorts of things. But ultimately, the humanity is what got me addicted to the whole thing. Well, what do you mean by that? So like peel that back a layer. 
You mean like people who are worried about losing their jobs or something, you know, pride, sure. kind of they were embarrassed about what was going on or all of the above and more. I mean, I, th- I think it depends who you're talking to. You know, if it's the company that's going through this transition, you know, there's losing their jobs or not being able to pay their mortgage or rent or, uh, you know, maybe it was a founder of a business that was a high flyer at one point and then, you know, the bloom is off the rose. You know, that's one constituency. And then on the other side, you may have the hedge fund or the private equity firm that that really took a bet on this and they're worried about their reputation and maybe their judgment and and maybe they've never been through something that didn't work out. So you're seeing how they're reacting and some of the some of the bits that come out of that. And, And each constituency, whether it's employees to lenders, to owners, to stockholders, they've all got their different angles on how they're seeing the circumstance. And, you know, my job is ultimately to to get everyone on the same page and march in the same direction. And that's really what makes it fun. Wow. Well we talk a lot about conscious leadership on this show. And the definition of conscious leadership is thinking about all stakeholders. And you just mentioned more than a handful of them. And so how actually do you get them to march in the same direction? What are some some of the tools that you use? Ice cream parties. <laughs> Ice cream parties, pizza. Uh, <laughs> Pony rides? <laughs> well, it, it's funny, you're joking, but in some ways, I mean, it depends on the constituency, but, you know, I've gone into some, some very debatably depressing situations where you're going into some, you know, factory floor that's manufacturing some, Thing that's really important, but it's not manufactured in the most elegant way, you know, you know, hot, sweaty, oily, smelling, whatever it may be. And it's remarkable the power that like a, a pizza party or a barbecue can have in the backyard. You know, maybe that's something that just wasn't on the radar for a while. And I mean, if you're just talking dollars and cents, you know, a couple hundred dollars on pizza or barbecue goes an awful long way to people, particularly if they're at the lower end of the wage scale than would be otherwise. So I think you're joking, but you're not. I mean, that really is insightful in some ways, you know, it, but I think I think at the root of it, the conscious side of it is is really trying to to plumb the minds of the various different people around because there's usually not 20 different things that you can do. There's one or two that you can do, but getting everybody aligned on what those options are is really the order of the day. And that's ranging from those people on the factory floor all the way through to the people in the ivory towers, you know, trying to make sure that they know what the real options are and what the right options are. And that comes down to this deep emotional component in understanding what their motivations are and trying to get them on the same page. So I think that's, that's where I go with the conscious side of it. That's incredible. And uh, we also talk a lot about what the leaders on the podcast do for their own company cultures. And I can imagine that this is not easy. In fact, you know that my husband does similar work um, as an executive. And sometimes he describes that as working in a cage fight. And so, you know, I imagine that your employees bring some of the ups and downs of getting everybody on the same page home with them. So how do you cultivate a culture at your company? You know, luckily the work is very engaging. You know, it, it, it's interesting. There, there are certainly uh, more simple ways to, to make a living, but I think the people that are gravitating towards this lean into the complexity and the, and the confusion and the excitement and all, all the goods and the bads that come with it. So I lean in as a leader of our organization into that a lot. So you try and empower people to have those opportunities to be in the mix, you know, be in the fray of what's going on, whether that's directly or just downloading at the end of the day or the end of a call on what that is. Beyond that, I mean, we do, we actually are are fairly progressive as a company where we have the chief people officer in our firm who really works on coaching. I'm a huge believer in coaching, really on trying to figure out what people's strengths are, but also where their blind spots may be, depending on what they want to do in their career, how we can help advance 
whatever it is they're trying to do, whether it's staying with us or wherever they're going in their career, but trying to make a pretty discreet, pretty distinct plan that those people can do to try and ultimately advance their careers. And I, and I think we focus a lot on that. Uh, you know, I'm a helpless entrepreneur, right? Uh, and and I, I've tried to foster this kind of entrepreneurial spirit amongst us and how, even how we pay people and how we, how we do everything is derived from that philosophy. I think trying to keep that entrepreneurial core, especially as we've grown a lot, has been a challenge, but I think that really focusing on that and, and making people own the good and the bad of entrepreneurship is, is a big part of how we foster that culture. There's Sierra Constellation Partners, and then there's Larry Perkins as an entrepreneur. And um, yes. I have the benefit of knowing you personally, but you, you alluded to it in the beginning of the interview, you know, selling and buying back a business and, and you know, just kind of doing the things that entrepreneurs do. So what actually even made you focus in this area? What kind of was the spark for you to build a business around this space? probably antithetical to what we're talking about today. It was, it was fairly unconscious in a way, you know, it was, no one would accuse me of being unambitious. So I've always been ambitious. And I think, you know, I kind of fell into the work a little bit and then, you, you know, you work hard, you, you get some good results. But what I identified is that I don't necessarily want to be doing exactly that thing. Right. And, and maybe I want to achieve more, more whether it's financially or, or influence wide or be able to help more people. And I needed to figure out a way to scale. Uh, and there was a pretty defining moment along the way where you can either kind of stay as effectively kind of the sole proprietor and, and just sell your own wares, or you can try and expand it. And I made the decision, again, fairly unconsciously, that expansion was the right right way for me to go, both to achieve my financial goals, but also to you know, be able to help more organizations and, and build our business and, and, and do the work that I think we're good at doing. So I, I, I think once that train left the station, then there's a lot of kind of throwing the luggage on as it was chugging away and figuring out how to backfill uh, what that looked like. You know, ultimately, it was a combination of ambition, liking the work, but, you know, having one of those moments when you're, you know, 25 or 26 years old and it's three o'clock in the morning around a closing table and saying, you know, I don't love this part. You know, I like a lot of it, but I'm not sure I want to be doing this part forever um, and figuring out how to avoid that part of it. And in the way I thought that was to avoid it is, okay, maybe you can get other people to do this with you so you don't have to do all those three o'clock closing meetings. So you're like a turnaround firm. You're, you know, overly simplified. Say you kind of go into situations where companies are either bankrupt or sort of on their way to being bankrupt. And you have a team. You're, would you consider yourself to be sort of a consulting firm, like a professional services firm? You don't have a fund that you that you sort of come right. in and buy these companies, right? So you're hired by the owners, usually some kind of financial institution. And they're saying, hey, you know, we're ready to do something dramatic or and we need to turn this around or get it into a position where we can sell it. Is that right? Yeah. So we're, we're definitely on the advisory side. It's funny. I have this aversion to the word consultant, even though, you know, by SIC code, that's certainly what we are. We spend a fair amount of time trying to be unconsultants in a lot of ways, but ultimately it's a consulting firm model, you know, not a principal or an investor. And, and, you know, as far as the situations that we get into, Ed, it's, yeah, I think I think it's pretty pretty close. The way I articulate it in my simplistic way is, you know, some financial promise was broken. You know, whether that's oh my God, we're not going to make payroll. That's one financial promise. All the way through to you know our cash flow or our profitability was supposed to be X, and it came in at a third of X. You know, and how do we get it back on track? But uh, usually there's some 
urgent event that prompts us being there in the form of, you know, some large financial promise being broken. And we get hired by the company, usually at the requirement of one of their financial constituents to say, you know, you guys are pretty smart at what you do. Go, go try and figure out what to do or tell us what to do and then go do it. In so many words, that's how the business works. Okay. I almost think of it as the executives as a service. I've been playing around Mm. with that term. Maybe that'll help my venture capital score. I like that. What role does networking play in your business and in, frankly, in your life? You know, it's funny. Networking to me is, is kind of a dirty word and no one would accuse me of not networking. I just don't like that word because it feels so transactional. Ultimately, I fancy myself a relationship person more than a networker because I feel like networking is is a means to an end. You know, you're trying to get something out of somebody. In some ways, I'm more of a collector, maybe not a very efficient one because I, I get to meet a lot of people and perhaps I, you know, quote unquote, waste time with people. But I like meeting people. I like meeting interesting people. Uh, and luckily, I'm in a profession where there's a lot of interesting people around the table. So I, I tend to collect these people and get, and get to know them and meet them. And it's developed into, you know, I would characterize them somewhere between friendships and what I call buddies. And there's a distinction between those two. I'm very comfortable with the notion of having buddies, not necessarily friends. I have a very small group of friends and an awful lot of buddies. I'm not necessarily looking for anything out of these people, right? I, I, I hope I can be helpful. Maybe they can be helpful to me. It's absolutely core to my soul at this point. Um, and I think it happened very, very organically. Um, there were definitely some kicks in the rear along the way insofar as that, you know, when I started the business, I didn't have any money and no financing or anything like that. So, you know, necessity being the mother of invention and whatnot, you know, I kind of had to do it and I didn't necessarily have a mechanism to grow beyond trying to get the phone to ring. So necessity really drove me, but then I realized, you know, this is kind of fun. You know, I'm meeting a bunch of interesting people. I'm getting access to a bunch of events and cool things. So let's just keep at it. Uh, Maybe when I don't need to as much. So it's just, kind of imbued itself or, or, you know, branded itself on my brain in some capacity. So now, now I can't help myself from doing it. And you wrote a book about authentic relationship building, which we mentioned in the, in the intro, don't be a stranger. It's a great book. And what I just really love about the message of the book is it's about, as you say, the difference between marketing and networking and relationship building. How has that played into your career? Like, you know, I'm just curious as a, as a, an author myself, and Ed has also yeah. authored a book. What sparked you to write a book called, you know, with, with an incredible title like that? Thank you. Just like the theme in my life and career, you know, it was a mistake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, uh, you know, I, I as the uh, hopeless entrepreneur, I tried to do a business around it and it failed pretty spectacularly. And it was, you know, this grand idea, which I still think is a great idea, but it was a grand idea on trying to figure out a way to, to get people to network or, or meet people more organically and, and help people do that. And it just didn't work. Uh, I didn't know how to do it. I was over my skis. And I was telling that story to a friend or a buddy, perhaps is a better word. Um, and uh, he had introduced me to somebody else in, in, in my, uh, excellent preparedness as I've known for. I had no idea who I was going to meet, but I, I went to go meet this person. And it turns out he had like 10 best-selling books. And I was telling the story. He basically just said, you should write a book about that. I'm like, well, I have no idea how to write a book. He's like, oh, I know a guy. Uh, you should talk to my guy. And he put me in touch with someone who could really help with that. I mean, I think he texted him and said, yeah, he, he loves it. Let's go do this. Um, and then I spoke with him and, uh, and really the rest was history. It was not uh, not a very well thought out enterprise, um, but it was something that I've really enjoyed. Uh, and it's funny, I have, I'm giving a big talk to like 250 people tomorrow on the book, which is just so cool. When did it publish? 
uh, post in 2019. Perfect time to be talking about relationships as we're going into a global pandemic where you can't actually meet people in person. But <laughs> notwithstanding that, it, it, it was, you know, I think some of the themes uh, transcended and gets better with age. It's like a fine wine. Yeah, it's kind of like a fine wine um, yeah. or yeah, maybe cheese. I like cheese more than wine. <laughs> but but, but uh, we, uh, it, one of the most satisfying things is, is every once in a while I get like a random email or LinkedIn or somebody from, from somebody I just don't know. And, and the book touched them in some way or they reached out and man, I had no idea that that was going to be so impactful that just someone would take the time to reach out. And it's just a, it's a really cool feeling that I, I did not anticipate. So how many buddies do you have? <laughs> Ed has been itching to ask this question. How many buddies do you have? And how many, I, I, yeah, it's, uh, I would probably say somewhere between 800 and 1200 okay. would be my guess. Okay. And how many friends do you have? 10. Okay. So in terms of what is your BRM? You want to know what that stands for? A buddy um, ratio yes. management system? Your buddy relationship oh. management system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, your friend, you don't right. need an FRM because you only have 10 of them. So you're, <laughs> exactly. you're good. Um, what's your BRM? Yeah, it, it's pretty, it's weirdly disciplined, but very free form. I had someone accuse me of, of thinking in webs before, I think more in webs than lines. And, and my friend Eva is probably the opposite of that. Eva is very line focused. Um, True. But, uh, <laughs> but, okay, we'll unpack uh, that later. But <laughs> okay, let's get back to the BRM. Future episode. <laughs> no, so, you know, I, I do have, a series of, of notebooks and sheets of, of just people that I just write down of like, I, I like them and I want to follow up and I'll review those from time to time. And it's, it's hopelessly, uh, untechnical, but it's just some people that I, I kind of put that are, are, I should stay in touch with, follow up with my notes are so absurd. You know, it'll be Dave tennis, Australia, you know, and, and uh, like th- those are my, my notes just because I probably know 78 Daves, you know, but I, I kind of flag those two because I don't know two Daves that are, talk about tennis in Australia. And then that's just, it's funny, it kind of prompts your mind to think about the whole relationship you've had or all the conversations like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I remember having a beer with him and we were talking about XYZ. I don't think, I think everybody does that. I think I talk about it maybe a little bit more, but I think if you actually go back and think about people, you think about a lot of random stuff and a lot of like, kind of personal stuff, you know, their dog, their cat, their kid, whatever it is. And I've got a knack for that. But I think just having my little crib notes on my stupid little uh, sheet, in my moleskine um, uh, help a lot as far as how I, how I do that. Is that how you pronounce it? No, it, uh, it is. It, yeah, yes. Moleskine. Really? Moleskine. Yes. It's, it's an Italian company, Eva. And I am, I am. 99% uh, very, sure. I actually have a funny story around, around Moleskine. So a, a great, can my, I just say Moleskine? You can say Moleskine. I actually have a Russian friend from Siberia whom I once just chuckled at because he said, "Oh, I love Moleskins," and I was like, "You're the cutest." Um, it's one of those few product but, names that are wow. better because you can't pronounce them. Most product names are not Mole, better like that. Like Moleskine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it okay, sounds so, more feet too to say Moleskine. I think Moleskine sounds better. But, but, it, but did, did you have one, <laughs> is it one book or is it like a shelf full? Uh, it, it, it's one book and I, you know, you know, I have this little thing in my pocket that takes pictures. So I'll take pictures of it and port them over from time to time um, just so I keep it on the list. And then cool. honestly, as time's marched on, it's just, it's just become organic and I'll, I'll play, you know, kind of, Rolodex roulette every once in a while and just kind of scroll through and see who I haven't talked to for a while. You know, I enjoy doing that. But how do you deal with, 
And I, this happens to me. So I, I don't have a BRM. I don't have a mole skine. But I do occasionally randomly reach out to people who have had a relationship of some kind in the past. Mm -hmm. And I did that recently. How do you deal with it when it's pretty clear that they either think that you must be reaching out because you need something or they're really not that interested in talking to you? Like basically for you, or I should say for me, when I did this recently, the person, it kind of was clear that the relationship meant more to me than it did to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Are they a buddy and or I a felt, friend? <laughs> well, they would be a buddy at, at best now. Yeah. I mean, I felt really kind of, I, I felt my ego was not, it wasn't like I was egotistically bruised that that person, it was just that I had it, what do you, what do you call it? Um, unrequited buddiness. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unre unrequited, uh, like passive friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It, it was sad. How do you deal with yeah. that? Does it happen oh, to you, or maybe I need it, to learn? It, from no. it. Yeah. It, it definitely happens. I, I can't. It, honestly, it's not very common. I think the hedge against it Ed, is consistency. You know, like if you don't if you don't talk to someone for like five years and then you randomly reach out, you know, I think people's radar goes up a little bit. It's like, well, okay, what the heck does he want? If if you stay a little bit more consistent, uh, you know, I keep it very inoffensive as far as what I'm talking about. You know, all the probably passive aggressive ways of doing it, but like not looking for a reply, just thought, just was thinking about you, you know, shame on me for not staying in touch. I mean, I'm, I'm great at being self-effacing. And I think that it kind of takes some of the edge off on that, not looking for anything. I'll use a lot of words like that just to hopefully assuage any concerns that I'm looking to be transactional. You know, yeah, there, there are rare assholes uh, who just are, are going to be jerks. And I try and avoid those people. And I feel like my barometer for who those people are is pretty clear i mean you, you can kind of tell and and that probably wouldn't make it to my buddy spectrum that would be more of a contact than a buddy okay <laughs> that makes sense. i think you need and, to read yeah. don't be a stranger yeah i think i do i'll get you a yeah, copy i know a guy i know a guy so larry <laughs> you're you're actually one of the few guests we've had on the show who has mentioned a coach on the show and yeah. i'm sure that you know, other leaders are, are working with coaches, but tell us what that brings to you, particularly around the conscious leadership piece of your work. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, coaches like anything else, there's all shapes and sizes. There, there's a couple distinct buckets. I think there's more like kind of business coaches and I think there's more life coaches. And I see a lot of value in both of them. I, I feel like the the business coaches are a little bit more tactical on something maybe you could do better in business. And I think that serves a number of different purposes. The bigger impact for me has been more kind of life coaching type. And, and I've worked with a couple different personalities and different types can bring lots to the table. I think in particular, what it has done for me is, is got me thinking a little bit more how everything's connected. Um, and I, I don't want to be woo woo, you know, whether that's spirituality or quantum physics, wherever you want to go with that. But I think it's thinking about what's going on with you and how that impacts what you're trying to do. I think that particularly as someone who's not terribly self-reflective innately um, has been something that I think can be, I think powerful really for anybody and, you know, and worse in indulgence, but I think probably more powerful to people. And I'm not ashamed of it. I, I think it's a really important thing. I think humanity's better if people are a little bit more aware of those things. So I'm a huge fan and I think it's something that's really important. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And there, there's nothing that's too woo woo on the show because Ed had his conscious capitalism epiphany at Esalen. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think, you know, and, and it was the nude Tai Chi that did it for me. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's where it yeah, started. Yeah, you know, but yeah. Ed is one of the most successful entrepreneurs I know. So I think that these things can go hand in hand. And that's one of the things we love to highlight on the podcast. Turning to the market environment, it is January 2023 when we are recording. We are either heading into a recession or in a recession. I listen to and read The Economist. I'm not sure where exactly, you know, we are officially, but you work in a space that will be largely impacted and, and you know, in a certain way benefit from a downturn. Can you give us your kind of market view and what you're seeing right now with work in working with companies? Well, we are kind of the beneficiaries of a recessionary environment. You know, I, I, I do, I, I am a little bit fearful right now, not personally, not for my family. You know, it's, it's tough sledding out there. Uh, and I think that it, it has been such a, such a bountiful time for so many for, for so long, whether that's economically or ecologically, right? I mean, we've been eating well for, for a long time. And I feel like, we're going through this adjustment of maybe it's normalcy. Um, you know, I, I know this is a very GRC term, but kind of the new normal. I think we're we're trying to figure out what that looks like, and I and I think it's it's actually if you take nine steps back, just not being at a breakneck pace is very jarring. I think to people that are used to being at a breakneck pace. So I'm I'm not sure this is a calamity or end of days type of thing, but going from this euphoric time to even just a little bit more sober time is jarring because, you know, I think there's been effectively kind of a whole business generation that hasn't really been through this. That's what is probably kind of scaring me the most is we're not prepared for it because we've, we've been in such an abundant time for so long. The other side that, that I've been thinking about a lot is the velocity. I feel like it's moving really quickly. And, and I feel like it maybe in prior eras, there's a little bit more heads up, a little bit more, coming down from the high um, and it feels like it's jarring this time. And I think that's a little bit different, but um, I feel for people, uh, you know, I think people were feeling pretty flush, pretty wealthy across the spectrum. And I feel like people are all of a sudden having this emotional toll coming from having this prosperous time to a little bit more sober time. Yeah. And I, have you seen an, an increase in demand for your, your services at, at SCP is I'm just curious how it translates as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, as, as, as a firm that only works with middle market companies, we were probably a little bit earlier to the to the party. I'm not sure what kind of party it is, but earlier to this than 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 uh, maybe those that deal with much larger companies, because I think that there is you know greater access to capital and maybe greater solutions, you know, maybe greater resources in larger companies. So middle market companies, I think, got impacted earlier and, and really since about Q3 of last year, it's been pretty breakneck. My team is running fast, you know, I'm running fast uh, and, and we're a little bit haggard already. And I feel like it's early days still. And I think that's what scares me a little bit. And, and it went from being this, I'm not going to say slow, but very different to this breakneck pace so quickly. Um, so yeah, yes, uh, the, the opportunity set is much larger than it was before. And, and it doesn't seem to be slowing. So I, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. But certainly feeling it. You know, I agree with that. I can't disagree with it. I mean, you're seeing what you see. We all know what's going on out there. I, I would layer on top of that, um, that this is not a universal condition and that businesses that have been rooted in strong fundamentals, this is just kind of an ordinary mild downturn. But I, I totally agree. And, and I think one of the things that's interesting, Ed, is just the abundance of capital that's out there right now. Still. I mean, there's a, there's squajillions of dollars yeah. ready to solve this problem. But I think the, 
the bid and the ask is a little bit far apart right now. So I think bridging that gap is going to be interesting and complicated. But I think there's a pretty easy solve because there, because of the amount of money that's out there. And, I, and that gives me some level of uh, comfort. There's people, you know, there's firefighters in the fray, right? They're just, they just haven't quite come to put out the fire yet. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's just a shortage of operators who really kind of are comfortable operating a business. Let's just say in tech where I come from, you know, my, my last company, we were always cash flow positive or break even and very capital efficient at that. That's the current and always the way I've thought about things. So for me, this is actually kind of like, I, I would say definitely not fearful. I would say it's actually like the greatest time for me for the next 10 years is because all that silliness is kind of wiped away. And for operators like me or other people, or let's just say kind of the Warren Buffetts of the world, you know, where it's just like, yeah, I just want a normal business that just kind of pays people normally. And we just kind of do the normal thing. That's kind of the next three, four, five years are going to be the best years probably of my career. Totally. Interesting. I could not agree more with that sentiment. Um, I think there is some generational stuff, right? Because I think you had people that were coming in through the the rah-rah days, whether it's in tech or otherwise, where, you know, you, you put together your slide deck and you've got a list of people, you know, that are interested to, to invest. I think, I think that's simmered, right? But that doesn't mean that good businesses aren't out there and there's great opportunities, especially if you've been around for a while. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a quick story, okay? Please. So, so recently my company was raising a Series A, okay? And we went out in beginning of 2022 to raise it. We got in, you know, to some of these big firms and so on. And one of them, I put in front of them a plan for, I don't know if it was five or $10 million plan where at the end of three years, we were at cash flow break even. Mm. Okay. And we were like going to grow a lot. It was going to be great. And the guy says to me, you know, a successful guy says to me, Ed, your product, this is something the world totally needs. I totally get it. And I can see that you know how to operate it. The problem is, is that is you. He said, the problem is that you know, you've put together this plan for cash flow break even, and we don't invest in entrepreneurs who put together plans for cash flow break even. Et voila. <laughs> he, he said, he said, if you don't, there you go. he said, if you're not telling us that you're going to grow this thing to $3 billion, because we, if we don't see it going to 3 billion, we don't invest in those entrepreneurs. You've got to be like a crazy entrepreneur who's going to go for broke home runs. Otherwise I can't get this through my partnership. If you can believe that. Right. And I, and I walked I down and I was just like, what the F just happened, you know? Right. And I, but you know right. what I said to him? I said, after I had a chance to think about it, I sent him an email and I said, look, this was in January or February mm. of 2022. I said, look, the Fed is raising interest rates right now. I said, the growth markets are going to crash. Cash flow breakeven will become a thing in yes. tech sooner than you think. And I was just like about three or four months too early with those guys, because I think if I had done it like mid-year, they might have been like, oh, this guy's an investable entrepreneur. But it still was yeah. lingering in January, February of 2022 that they wouldn't invest in a guy right. who even considered yes. getting to cash flow break even. That's so I, ridiculous. I totally agree with you. And on the VC side, we in, in, at Beyond Capital Ventures, we call it the era of indifferent capital is over. Like the era of... This company should only be growing top line is is actually over. And I think it's taking froth out of the system. And I agree with you. I think there's an absolute opportunity for founders like you, Ed, who do actually have a plan to be cash flow positive in three years. By the way, if you're listening, Mr. G, you know who you are. <laughs> I hope he listens to this podcast. Larry, what do you think about that? 
Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's but uh, kind of going back to what I was saying in my consciousness side, but, you know, think about the motives, right? I mean, Ed, we've just met today, but, you know, I, I would guess it means a whole lot more to you to lose that deal as opposed to the person on the other side, Mr. G. You know, he's got 10 in his portfolio or 100 in his portfolio, and he's expecting eight or 10 of them to fail, right? Yeah. 80, 90% failure, I think, is kind of normal in Silicon Valley, but the one that works is 100x. So, I mean, you could do the math. You you make 100 and you lose on eight. Who cares, right? That's that's a win. So I think it's really that understanding the motives. And I think over these last handful of years, I think people kind of forgot that, right? Because I think there was more success than there was failure that I think that they don't, they don't get to do what they're doing because they, they're not ruthless. I mean, if something's not working, they'll just cut it off and it doesn't work anymore. And that's just part of the business model. You've been around long enough to know that that's not, it's not good for you, you know, on, on that side of the trade. So I think that that's how you were going into that conversation. And they're saying, it's not good for me because I'm not going to get my hundred X on that deal. Right. It's fascinating. It's humanity. That, that That's what it is. I mean, understanding. I agree. It's, it's, it is fascinating, but I never understood the spray and pray investment model. It's, it's just, I, I get it. It's probability, but I, I feel like we power, might as well go to Vegas. The power law returns, yeah. 90% of venture returns comes from 10%. Blah, exactly. Blah, blah. But I, I don't right. think that will be the case in the next no. 10 years, but I think it was the case yeah. in the last 10 years. For sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So let's move over to the rapid fire question. Yeah. Larry, you are a voracious reader and uh, your Kindle is connected to the, the public library and you, you just download books all the time, yeah. I know, and yes. you talk about them, and I'm quite jealous of this, but I at least get to learn th- from you. So tell us what book is on your nightstand or on your Kindle right now. Um, I am reading Snow Crash right now, which is a Neil Stevenson book. The word metaverse was identified in that. Um, oh, wow. It's kind of an old fiction book at this point, um, you know, 30 years old or so, but it is unbelievably prescient on things that were to come. It was pre-cell phone, pre-really internet in some ways, Um but they were calling a lot of things and a lot of dystopian kind of derivatives coming out of that. And I'm not anti-metaverse, but it's fascinating to read that. So I'm reading that. And then I am read daily, <clears throat> the daily stoic, the Ryan holiday book. So I, I read that every morning. I, I've got five or six books going at any given time. So this is a very long question, but, but those are the two that I'm kind of reading most frequently right now. What is your go-to beverage? Coffee, tea in the morning, coffee, tea, or caffeine free? Oh, coffee. Yeah, I'm a huge coffee guy. Oh, yeah. 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 I knew I was yes. going to like this yes. guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. You yeah. also have yeah. a strain of stoicism in, in common. As I am well. a stoic. Yes. Yes. Yeah, just, I'm a stoic. I'm just yeah. making yeah. a connection here. <laughs> Larry, name something that's giving you hope right now. Yeah, it's a weird one. We have a puppy at home. It is, it is a surprisingly hopeful thing, seeing a creature evolve, the simplicity of her. It's weirdly giving me a lot of hope for the world. I don't know why. Um, I mean, you see like kind of these beautiful creations in nature that, that just come together and a simplicity of seeing a puppy. I, it, it, it's giving me a lot of hope. That is so eloquent and so lovely the way you said that. But I thought you were going to say you were hoping the dog didn't crap on the floor this, <laughs> this morning. Yeah, yeah. That, I'll, I'll go to my stoicism there. The dog, craps the floor, the dog doesn't crap on the floor. It happens. It's a puppy. That's good. <laughs> All right. What's one trend that you're watching right now? Let's just say in the business world, in you know, kind of your industry. What are you keeping your eye on? One thing that 
especially interesting to you? I think robotics is a rule. Uh, I think and I think there's an interplay with AI and robotics. I mean, you talk about a lot of these huge macro issues that are out there, you know, manufacturing, offshoring, onshoring, all those things. That gets a hell of a lot easier if you're using robots to do all that stuff. And I think societally it's complicated because the historical context was taking people out of doing those jobs. But if you ever tried to run a manufacturing plant recently, that hasn't been the issue. So I think robotics is going to be really important. And I think particularly this overlay of like chat, was it chat GPT and all these kind of AI things that are going along with robotics is going to be really fascinating to me. Okay. Quantum physics, quantum physics mm-hmm. is just blowing my mind right now. I'm reading way too much about it. It's, it's scary, but I think that's like 20 years. Talk to me about that in like 10 or 15 years. Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on like current events in your industry, whether it's a podcast or a newsle- newsletter? There's a mysterious newsletter in our industry called a Petition, uh, and it's a Substack article. It's mysterious because the author is, is uh, what is pseudonymous. He doesn't oh, use wow. his real name, so it's unclear who the person is, but clearly has the pulse on our industry, and uh, I, I can't get enough of it. I, it's, one of the, it's kind of appointment reading for me. Okay, so if you had to give yourself one piece of advice when you were 20 years old, what would it be? Plan a little. Buy Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say I've got this. I feel like I'm a little bit more deliberate on planning right now, but I was so haphazard. I feel like it's worked out. So my reverse narrative is very good. But, you know, I I was just kind of going kind of crisis to crisis, not real crisis, but think about what you want to do a little bit more as opposed to just kind of doing something and figuring it out. I think that would be some guidance I'd give my 20 year old self. Just to throw in one quick thing, I was talking to my husband this morning and asking him about his New Year's resolutions. And I said, well, what are some of the habits that you want to cultivate to reach your resolutions? And he's like, well, I have these milestones and goals. And I'm like, no, how do you chunk it down to your to your habits? And I think, you know, just when you said planning, it, it kind of made me think of that. So just to wrap up today, Larry, you, you've mentioned a few times like the haphazard nature of your career and and as you say, you kind of have a, a good narrative looking back, but you know, to us, you, you know, you've achieved so much and I'd love to know 10 years in the future, what mark you think you and your company and your book will continue to leave on the world? I feel like we do something that is really important and really unique. And well, you know, while there's competition, I, I really don't see it as competition. Um, not because they're bad or anything like that. It's just, I I feel like we're doing a different thing and I wish more people did it the way we do it. You know, particularly if you use this word consulting, it's it's a dirty word for a reason, right? And and I want to do what we're doing, but doing it more and doing it better and hopefully more people will see what we're doing and and the value they create for, uh, you know, for a bunch of different people and companies and and employees along the way. So I think that's what I really, that's the mark I want to leave. Thank you so much. It's been incredible to spend time with you today. Thank you, Eva. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, Larry. Let's get, let's get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way. And we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter. And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.